Welcome to Rust Belt Abolition Radio. My name is A. Maria. In the thick of the 2018 prison strike, we published a notice in the San Francisco Bayview, the extraordinary monthly black newspaper which circulates through hundreds of prisons and other centers of detention in the United States, asking those on the inside to write to us with their immediate reflections on the prison strike. Specifically, how recent prison strike actions advanced the politics of abolition. We received letters from folks imprisoned in a dozen different states, and in this episode, we present these extraordinary report backs and analyses from inside, some written in the infinitely long and lonely hours of solitary confinement. But before we begin, here's Kate Sayed with some movement news you may have missed. On January 13th, a local organization in Columbus, Georgia, called Indivisible Columbus, organized a rally in protest of living conditions in the Stewart Detention Center. The detention center, located in Lumpkin, Georgia, is a private prison operated by Corrections Corporation of America that is under contract with Immigration and Customs Enforcement to hold immigrant detainees. According to Indivisible Columbus, detainees are being held in inhumane conditions, including being forced to sleep in very cold rooms with thin mattresses, overcrowding, inadequate medical care, not being allowed to have physical contact with family members. On January 15th, federal jail inmates in New York launched a hunger strike in protest of inadequate medical care and cancellation of family visits stemming from the partial federal government shutdown. A group of inmates in Metropolitan Correctional Center sparked the hunger strike after the jail canceled family visitations for the second week straight. Other effects of the shutdown which were being protested were the reduction recreation time and the increased difficulty for inmates seeking legal counsel. Since January 9th, approximately 250 prisoners have been on hunger strike within the California State Prison Corcoran's 3C facility in response to an indefinite lockdown. Two units within the 3C facility have been deprived of visitation, canteens, packages, educational and rehab programs, and yard time for the past three and a half months. Representatives of the units have made the following demands. 1. Lift lockdown. 2. Allow visits. 3 allow us to attend educational, vocational, and rehabilitation programs that we're enrolled in. Four, allow us to receive commissary and packages. Five, that we be given our weekly 10 hours mandated of outdoor exercise yard. And six, that we are treated fairly. You can find more information on this hunger strike and how to support it at incarceratedworkers.org. I am Alejo Stark, here with Cape Saed, and you're listening to Rust Belt Abolition Radio, an abolitionist media and movement-building project based in Detroit, Michigan. In this episode, we feature the letters of six imprisoned rebels that were written in the wake of the 2018 prison strike. These letters reflect upon the conditions inside and its relation to the abolitionist movement. They come to us from various geographies in the United States, including the states of Indiana, Kentucky, Missouri, California, Texas, and Pennsylvania. Some were written from solitary confinement. The first letter comes from a writer that is held captive in the state of Texas. Yeah, this letter is from an anonymous writer from Texas and is dated as being written in October 2018. Here it is. Salutation. I'm shouting out from general prison population responding to your inquiries and also honoring the throes of birth pains signaled from abolitionists contemplating covertly de-employing, that is, deploying and employing, inside prisons for direct action. Moreover, this direct action could produce documentaries creating supplemental income and funds for other purposes. We think this birth giving weighty consideration to our suggested advanced level of support is attributed to drastic changes in political opinions 
favoring prisoners as a result of the latest national prisoner actions. Texas Department of Corrections is an ideal environment for the growth and maturity of abolitionists to rotate through prison doors, which will embolden prison activists and quickly strengthen our position ushering in a new world without prisons. Corrupt prison authorities will prove ineffective attempting to continue performing what was illustrated by prisoner strike organizer Amani Sawari. Quote, the efforts by authorities to disrupt communication between prisoner organizers and outside support also interfere with and impede communication between prisons by inside organizers, end quote. Further, I think particularly our 2016 strike actions garnered political sentiments for prison abolitionists due to prison authorities having illegally brutalized and isolated prisoner activists for organizing peaceful protest methods, which Amani Sawari indicated may have also occurred to deter widespread participation for our current national prisoners' actions, and she exhorted outside supporters to be aggressive in their response to the retaliation. Now there's a concluding section that is entitled, Advanced Politics of Abolition. Overall, it appears 2016 and 2018 actions helped advance our abolition struggle by generating more media attention and a foundation for quote-unquote sustained future strikes to not end until demands are met. Finally, as for the would-be abolitionists de-employing behind enemy lines, Whistleblowers Act could be utilized as protection when reporting state corruption. Although I advocate this entire message herein, if it is broadcasted, I am requesting my name be omitted to avoid becoming an easy target. This next one is from a prisoner in Pennsylvania, where drastic changes in the mail policies were implemented in the fall of 2018. It is a letter from Kevin Ng, and it has a Florida return address. This return address is because of the policy changes that were implemented in Pennsylvania uh, that states that all mail must be processed through a quote-unquote secured facility in Florida. December 4, 2018. Dear Rust Belt Abolition Radio, Hello, I am writing you today to send you a submission about how the 2016 and 2018 prison strike actions advanced the politics of abolition. Well, I can speak firsthand for the prisoners in Pennsylvania. Right now, December 4. Pennsylvania prisoners are not standing up to the injustice being done to us behind these walls. As of August, all mail and books magazines are not allowed into Pennsylvania prisons. Instead, our family, friends, must mail our letters, books, to a secure location in Florida to be checked for contraband. See the attached article. And he sent an article uh, that's dated from September called Closing the Books on Pennsylvania Inmates. So right now, when you would think that Pennsylvania prisoners are going to stand up and strike, no one is doing nothing. Mail to prisoners is not a privilege, it is a right. So I don't understand why there's not more work strikes or sit-ins. The staff now is even making copies of our legal mail that is being sent to us from our lawyers. It is being said that there might be contraband in our legal mail from lawyers. Whatever happened to attorney-client privilege? This is just some of the injustice being done to us behind these walls in Pennsylvania state prisons. Respectfully, Kevin Ng. Kevin also wanted us to share his information so that listeners can get in touch with him about the mail policy situation in Pennsylvania prisons, which since the time of writing I think has also changed slightly. You can find his information by reading the transcript of this episode on our website. This next letter is from Joshua Perkins, who is writing from solitary confinement in South Central Correctional Center in Missouri, dated October 22, 2018. To whom it may concern... My name is Joshua Perkins, number 1234230, and I currently reside in solitary confinement in South Central Correctional Center. Prior to my living arrangement I currently reside in, convicts, myself included, decided to stand up for our civil rights. Housing Unit 2 segregation was overcrowded. 
The administration were forcing inmates to live with people whom they knew didn't get along with one another and were incompatible. Convicts then started declaring protective custody to get away from the hostile living conditions, myself included, on August 17, 2018. We were then punished by being handcuffed to an iron bench, with our hands behind our backs attached to the bench and legs shackled to the bench. We were denied food and given bathroom breaks during the corruptional officer's convenience. Despite our differences, that is nationality, religion, politics, etc., we rode those benches for six days until August 23, 2018. We laughed and joked, did everything we could to keep one another strong and in a positive frame of mind. The cops hated it. Oh well. During our six-day stretch, sprinklers popped up due to the fact that maintenance does not do their jobs and toilets overflowed sewage water. One CO named Carr was threatening and taunting inmates belligerently. After screaming and yelling at one inmate on the bench, he was so heated, he slipped in flooded sewage water and busted his ass. I blame maintenance. I had never seen so many convicts at peace in such fire circumstances. Other convicts in fear of their cellies, that is, cellmates, decided to start coming out and a lot were pepper sprayed for declaring protective custody. The COs then had to start placing convicts in shower stalls due to the overcrowding. Convicts whose disciplinary segregation had long ended were released to general population. Convicts under investigation were released to general population as well. Other convicts were transferred to other institutions. The cops were sick of our solidarity. On August 23, 2018, the Correctional Emergency Response Team, that is CERT, came in by the hundred and started brutally assaulting inmates. I was standing in a holding cage under PC when some COs told me Jefferson City Correctional Center, that is the JCCC, had something for me. Side note, I was convicted for first degree assault on a correctional officer in Cole County, received 20 years. Next thing you know, CO Talent, aka Bull, came to my cage and hit me with three small cans and two big cans of pepper spray. Cops opened my cage, took me to the ground, and brutally assaulted me. I was stomped, kicked, punched, and elbowed mostly in the head and face. Fingers twisted and choked. There were ten or more COs assaulting me. I was hogtied and carried from 2C to 2A and thrown on the ground by cell 106. The inmates were pulled out. I was picked up and thrown in onto the concrete floor. The whole wing and cell was flooded. I was then beat again and my face was held underwater. The COs were screaming, Don't F with the JCCC. I was then left in a pool of bloody sewage water. Others were brutally assaulted as well. Nobody was given any form of medical attention and no conduct violations were written. I believe a lot of inmates were frightened and a lot of others wanted their showers, regular trays, since we were issued paper bags, and canteens. Some were complaining that they wanted to watch the institutional movie. Three TVs are in each wing to brainwash and pacify the quote-unquote offenders. The same movie is played over and over all day long, which consists of the imperialists oppressing and conquering the proletariat. The inmates then laid back. Then on August 21st, 2018, a few convicts requested PC and were issued conduct violations for organized discordance, which as far as I know, were dismissed. I was taken to the bathroom and slammed on the ground by a fat CO named Calhoun. Everybody who declared PC ended up going back to their cells feeling defeated. I was still in fear of my life. On September 1st, 2018, I was taken to Housing Unit 1 Solitary for two alleged guard assaults. COs allege I slipped my cuff and bathroom break and attacked CO Carr and Sergeant Herndon, aka Short Dog, 
by striking them in the face and body with closed fists and knees. In actual reality, I was assaulted by them for not returning to my cell, and CO Riggs was striking me in the face with his fists. Despite all the oppression, that is, special security orders, meatloaf, retaliation, etc., I keep my head up and train for Armageddon slash Ragnarok. I believe resistance has improved since I have been in prison. Three years first bid, four years this bid. I believe this incident educated a lot of youth, myself included about the solidarity and imperative to resist tyranny slash oppression. I used to be a prejudiced, closed-minded bigot, and this experience has opened my eyes to the fact that all of us low-class prisoners slash citizens are slaves to the imperialists. We are all in this oppressive struggle together. The 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution constitutes prisoners abroad to slavery. As for a world without prisons, I do not see it happening until the return of Yahshua, the Messiah. Sadly, I feel there will always be some sort of prison for us individuals, and we can only resist that through our higher powers. Joshua also sent us a poem to share with you all as well. Keith, do you want to read it for us? Yeah, here's the poem. Swords. Swords have been sharpened. Swords. Swords have been burnished. To work slaughter they have been sharpened. To flash lightning they have been burnished. Why now should we withdraw them? The oppressors have dodged the law and deserve eradication. I have given them over to my comrades, that they may hold them in their hand, swords sharpened and burnished, to be put in the hands of slayers. Cry out and wail, oppressors, for you shall soon meet your doom. The righteous have united in wrath, and they have raised their swords high. Therefore, slap your thigh, oppressor, for the sword has been tested. And why should it not be so? As for comrades, prepare yourself for battle. While the swords are doubled and tripled, these swords of slaughter, these mighty swords of slaughter, which threaten all around, that every pig may tremble. For many will be fallen everywhere they go. I have appointed the swords for slaughter, fashioned to flash lightning, burnished for slaughter, cleave to the right, destroy. This next one is from Shaka Shakur, who is currently in prison in an Indiana prison. It is titled, An Honest Conversation and Self-Critique. There can be no honest conversation as to whether Black Lives Matter, BLM, without including in that conversation the boys of hundreds of thousands of black men and women behind the iron curtain of the prison walls. There can be no honest conversation about BLM without an honest critique of the civil wars, that is gang wars, black-on-black violence, murder rate, that is out of control in our community. While we reject the right-wing conservative and generally backwards apologist position, who try to use black-on-black violence as a justification or rationalization for state-sanctioned violence at the hands of its security forces, that is police or privileged white males who has the license to kill and murder black folks based on their skin privilege as being identified with white. Nevertheless, there has to be an honest assessment, analysis, and solution-oriented approach. While we know the street-level violence is a direct result of state-level violence, the policies of the government, regardless of the party in power or the administration, 
the inequality in the distribution of resources to communities of color and urban areas. Disproportionate representation of over-incarceration, saturation policing, for all the good it does, lack of jobs, etc., is a direct contributor towards that violence. What is raging in our communities are often civil wars driven by the drug economy and economics. It is a vicious cycle, motivated and sponsored by state and racist-sanctioned genocide. You cannot close schools, hospitals, clinics, and have no jobs and not expect or anticipate the explosion of violence. You cannot put rats in a cage in a controlled environment of behavioral modification, reward and punish an overall environmental manipulation, and eventually they will begin to feed upon one another. While we are far from rodents to be exterminated at the hands of the state and its governmental policies, we have to seize our own destiny and dictate and give guidance to future generations. When forgiving our proven enemies becomes more important and more of a priority than demanding justice and organizing for real freedom, we have a flawed and defective stereotype. When it becomes more important than organizing ourselves from the bottom up to defend and protect ourselves from those that ravish and murder us from outside our community, as well as those backward elements, of which I used to be one of, within our community and among us, then we have to reassess our strategy for survival. We are one of the only people on the planet who can be lynched, mass murdered, mass incarcerated, and be subjected to apartheid-type policies and governing, and still bend over backwards to forgive and try to make peace. Fuck that. It is not a crime to organize to protect ourselves to survive. Armed self-defense isn't a crime. To patrol and control your own community isn't a crime. To fight for human survival is a human right. Singing we shall overcome while being marched into ovens or prisons is ludicrous or insane. Does anyone have a problem with white males patrolling and exercising white privilege in the streets of Ferguson with semi-automatic weapons and tactical gear? I'm talking about so-called white civilians or citizens. They were not only patrolling, but freely interacting with the state security forces, that is the police, and engaging in coordinated tactical maneuvers. Why isn't anyone talking about this? Where is the outrage? This is being done under the guise of so-called oath keepers protecting the people from the state. Can you imagine black men walking not only the streets of Ferguson with semi-automatic rifles, or let alone predominantly white area, and not be armed confrontation with police or some other settled armed agent? It is even safe for us to legally walk around armed in an open carry state, let alone an open war zone. Open apartheid in occupied Azania, South Africa, isn't that long ago. The civil wars that broke out in the former Yugoslavia and also in Bosnia, Herzegovina, Kosovo, Rwanda, and Burundi isn't that long ago. Civil wars being dictated by racial and religious hatred, manipulated and controlled by the state and government forces. While we know and understand the BLM movement was created to focus on white cops, that is cops with three Ks, killing black people and exposing such, we also recognize that the movement isn't monolithic. Some groups are also using the strategy and tactic of leaderless resistance. Can genocidal oppression truly be reformed? Yeah, black lives matter, but while demanding that you recognize such, one has to understand that wars are raging in this country called low-intensity warfare, and it is imperative that we organize for survival. We have people not only walking into our churches and killing our people, but burning them down. Whatever God or not that you believe in, when you're not safe in a house of worship or sacred space, then people don't see you as human. How can we forgive and rationalize with such sickness and hatred? This isn't about good cop or bad cop. Our people all over America, and that's America with three Ks, and our community has distinctive and oppressive relationship to the state and its security forces, that is, the police. The police represents an institution and an organization based upon an ideology and operating procedures. 
This relationship has always been oppressive, both historically and up until one second ago. These people and institutions have never represented us or our collective interest. It doesn't matter if you have a black president or attorney general. How is it that in most of our communities, which are more heavily patrolled than any other, how is it that we can every alphabet you can think of, that is, FBI, DA, ATF, JTTF, etc., and one can't stop the murder rate, can't or facilitate the removal and replacing the drug economy in our neighborhoods? Why are they really there? And more importantly, whose interests are they operating in because the damn show ain't our interest? This is why we can't depend on them, for or the government. With us utilizing the practice and concept of dual power, it allows us to operate utilizing our own resources to build and create our own institutions. The contradictions and dialectics we see playing out in society also manifest itself inside of America's prisons behind the iron curtain of barbed wire, surveillance gear, gun towers, and genocide under the guise of corrections. What the F are they correcting when they all are doing is warehousing and brutalizing us? Wholesale manufacturing of psych sociopaths that are released upon our community. Creating people full of rage, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD issues. You torture and abuse and then cut funding and remove mental health services in our community. A hidden agenda. You do not correct by cutting all the programs in prison. You can't correct by removing all the vocational trades and training to the point that there are no real jobs for us, no real mental health intervention, only locked in cage for hours on end, where solitary confinement has become a solution to lack of bed space. So again, whose interests are, are the places serving while private prisons and investment in such is booming? Just ask Michael Jordan. If black lives matter, they matter on all fronts. We are a nation of people. You can call it black America or whatever, but we are a nation with separate and distinct relationship to America and its settled agents' representatives. We are of you and shall at some point will return to you. We must be a part of the BLM conversation and its transitioning. The new African Liberation Collective in Indiana represent only one aspect or strain in that or this conversation. Political prisoners are social conscious prisoners seizing the time and opportunity to not only organize amongst ourselves but to be heard. From a whisper to a shout to a scream that our lives matter too. From one generation to the next, on behalf of the New African Liberation Collective, NALC. We also got two shorter letters. One of them is from a writer in Kentucky prison, and another one from a writer in Corcoran State Prison in California. The first one is from Timothy Brown, who's incarcerated in a prison in Kentucky, and is dated September 28, 2018. I hope that the prison movement brings some much-needed unity. I've been fighting the judicial-slash-prison system for a long time by myself. The root problem is that we are not united. We have no common goal. Some seek immediate prison abolition, some jobs, some housing, some an end to the police murders, etc., etc. We must understand that all problems plaguing our community come from a single source, and until we solve the root issue, we can only accomplish small victories that will soon be reversed. Proof. All the victories of the past have been reversed. Once we decide to work together, truly work as one, then we will be able to compete with our lifelong enemy. The enemy works together, 200 plus million of them just in this country alone. No way a few of us at a time will defeat them. They have a plan, we do not. They work together, we do not. They control finance, we do not. They control jobs slash production, we do not, etc, etc. We must implement a unified plan and work it as one, unless we want to lose all these little battles and the war. In a war, as this is, why would the enemy help the opponent? They won't. Stop asking them to and start working for self-determination. A slave's will can never be done. 
Let's stop thinking like slaves and start thinking like a community. A community is a group of individuals that function as one for the mutual benefit and protection. I've written a book that has a partial plan. Let's come together and put forth a worldwide plan. That's when we will have a movement. And this last letter uh, is from Walimu, a new African that has been held captive within Corcoran State Prison in the state of California. September 21, 2018. Revolutionary Greetings. My name is Malimo Shakur, and I'm an inside activist who has been challenging unjust conditions in prison for over 20 years. I was a SHU, that is, security housing unit, inmate, who participated in all three hunger strikes in California to shed light on our long-term isolation, in which us, new Africans, who study the works of Comrade George Lester Jackson, Huey P. Newton, Fred Hampton, Amilcar Cabral, and the rest of the revolutionaries who came before us, and left the path to be followed were placed for 20, 30, and some 40 years to curb the educating of the young fertile minds of our youth so learn about the fascist oppressors' practices within their capitalist system and learn how to combat it. This are released back into general population, we've been waging a successful war with the imperialists and winning some of our rights. Business and work stoppage, boycotts, and sit-ins here in Concordan, we are dealing with repercussions, such as the loss of jobs, our education department and a few people went to administrative segregation, that is, ADSEG or the whole, but this only strengthens us to keep going until we win. I believe as more people in the communities come to realize we come from the same communities, and instead of tearing them down as once we did by selling drugs, pimping, and other forms of criminal behavior, we're now attempting to rebuild through education and creating self-sufficiency programs, which are an alternative solution to our conditions. We believe in unity and solidarity, and with our oppressed communities working with us to accomplish our goals, we can have a better world. We rightfully deserve this, as well as a world without prisons. In struggle, Molimu of Corcoran State Prison in California. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to past episodes or read their transcripts on our website at www.rustbeltradio.org. This show is co-produced by the Rust Belt Abolition Radio Crew, A. Maria, Cape Syed, and Alejo Stark. Original music by Bad Infinity.